Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. may be seated. So in 1996, thank you, Oklahoma City First Church added a bright young member to the team, and he would, over the course of the next several years, fill several different roles, um, keyboardist for sure. For a while there, he was, along with Dr. Betts, our music minister, worship leader, choir director, all those kinds of things. And he has tried several times to resign, saying, you got other people who can do this. And I would say to him, Dr. Riegerd, yeah, but don't have a Dr. Riegerd. Um, Dr. Riegerd uh, has continued to push to say, let, let, me, let me get out of the way so that other people can play. And so he resigned this week to, to Tamra. Um, now, he says he's still going to be around. He's still a part of Oklahoma City First Church, and in fact, probably we'll see him at the keyboard again. But he's going to resign effective the last Sunday of this month as part of the uh, weekly paid staff. And Dr. Riegerd, we are heartbroken and just love you desperately. Uh, but thank you for 27 years of service. You started, you told me, when you were eight years old. It's incredible. It would be appropriate for us to say thank you to, to Dr. Rieger. I had the high honor of baptizing Dr. Rieger. I will never forget it. I will never forget it. And I won't let you forget it either, so you're stuck with us, okay? Well, we love you, and um, that won't change. So welcome to the Sunday after Easter, everybody. Uh, it is sort of nicknamed Low Sunday. Why is it nicknamed Low Sunday? Well, look around. <laughs> but it's okay, because we need to have a team meeting today. 
We really do. We need to have a team meeting. We, we have to, to get some things said. We have, we, have to, we have to be shaped, continually be shaped by this, this reality of the resurrection. Uh, and I'm going to start, as you might expect I would, with a good uh, dog story. Uh, this is Mumford the dog. Now, this is our grand dog, actually, right? Um, this is Taylor and Brady's dog. He is staying with us for the time being while they get some things worked out. And this is how he greets me when I come home, because he's a Christian dog, right? <laughs> My other dogs don't, aren't nearly that excited uh, to welcome me uh, like that. We'll not comment on whether or not Kelly gets up on the back of the couch. That's a different discussion altogether to say hello. But this is the way uh, I'm greeted when I come home uh, by Mumford. It, I, I mean, I'm telling you, not the only time that perhaps you can say, well, maybe even dogs have the capacity to put some skin and flesh on the welcome and hospitality of God. I mean, a dog can make you feel pretty good, and dogs are pretty good at not keeping score. If you've had a bad day and have not been great, it seems like the dog will still come around and say, yeah, but you're still great. You're still great. With that, I would like to invite you to join the host team. <laughs> Britt has... Uh, resuscitated our whole uh, hosting hospitality ministry and in her leaving to her to go to her missionary adventure in northern california uh, a familiar face we're very excited to have kaylee vaughn to come on and, and take and run with our hosting hospitality ministry let me let me just say this to you we need you and, and here's what we need you to do we need you to celebrate when people come through the door and, and to and to make uh, room for everybody. Not, yes, I mean space. So to the extent that we need to somehow make space, and we're going to try to make heavens, we're trying to make parking spaces and stuff like that, protect some of those. But, but I also mean kind of room in our collective heart. Like everybody needs to be celebrated when they come through the door. And all God's people said, yeah. we could really use some more, right? We could use some more people to help us with that. We say it every week during the meet and greet, that during the meet and greet, we are putting skin and flesh on the welcome and the hospitality that we understand and experience in God. I, I would submit to you that one of the best things you can say about God, especially the God that we see in Christ, is this, that God is hospitable. You like that? That, that God is a welcoming God that is hospitable to each and every. You like that? I think it's one of the best things that we can ever say. So maybe we could learn something from the hospitality industry about how to go about celebrating and acknowledging the people who are within arm's reach. There's a guy by the name of Will Gadara, and Will Gadara owns and operates pretty uh, Fancy restaurants, one in particular is 11 Madison Park, and maybe you've been there. He tells the story at one time about, and, and they're known for their, for their great, great food. And he was one day on the floor helping to uh, pay some attention to tables, actually. And he happened to walk by one table, and it was a, a group of people who had taken something of a food tour. They'd been all over the country, and this was one of the stops that they wanted to make through the country. And they're about to go home, and they, he heard one of them say, my only regret is that in all of these nice restaurants, I never got a New York hot dog. So this guy, the owner of the restaurant, ran down the street Without them knowing it, he ran down the street, and he bought a $2 hot dog, 
And he brought it back to his chef and he said, make this look like us. <laughs> make this look really good. Because I want these folks to have an experience that lets them know that they're welcome and valued here. And it has changed how he has gone about the restaurant industry. Now, he's going to talk about making people feel welcome in restaurants. What if we had a similar sort of posture as it had to do with people, not just coming to church, ready for this, but what if we had a similar posture as people of faith for folks who don't believe? Right? Not, not just about counting how many noses we have in here. By the way, I don't. Never have. I mean, there, you have perhaps seen people over the years. Here's a question I have never asked anybody ever here. How many did we have today? I just don't. I just don't. It's not about having more people in the pews. It's whether or not we are embodying a faith that is in and of itself welcoming and hospitable. Make sense? All right, so he's going to talk. This is a, I found this clip in a TED Talk. He's going to talk about the restaurant industry I want you to hear it, though, as people of faith who are asked to be hospitable, welcoming people of faith. That hot dog changed the way I approach restaurants from that point forward. Because up until then, I had been so focused on excellence, on all the little details that go into making a meal great, that I somehow hadn't realized something really important, that in restaurants, our reason for being is to make people feel seen. It's to make them feel welcome. It's to give them a sense of belonging. See, in restaurants, the food, the service, the design, they're simply ingredients in the recipe of human connection. That is hospitality. And I realized if we could be unreasonable in our pursuit of that, we could give people the kind of experiences they would remember forever. It was only then that I realized I wasn't actually in the business of serving people dinner. I was in the business of serving them memories. I obsessed over that hot dog. I kept on going back to the experience and trying to figure out what happened that, you know, the whole thing went down. Like, what happens that it could happen? And what needed to happen so that it could start happening all the time? First, being present. Which I get, it's like kind of overused these days, but for me, being present means caring so much about the thing you're doing or the person you're with that you stop caring about all the other things you need to do. And it's essential in delivering unreasonable hospitality. See, so often we have such long to-do lists that we aren't able to slow down enough to actually listen to the people around us, to the things they're saying and all the things they're not saying. If I hadn't been present at that table, I never would have heard that throwaway line about the hot dog. Second, it required taking what you do seriously without taking yourself too seriously. Way too often in customer service businesses, we let these self-imposed standards get in the way of us giving our customers the thing they actually want. Okay, a hot dog in a four-star restaurant is sacrilegious but look at the way it made them feel. And third, it required the acknowledgement that if what you're trying to do is give people a sense of genuine belonging, one size fits one. Hospitality is about making people feel seen. And the best way to do that is not to treat them like a commodity, but as a unique individual.
Listen to these three again and see if you don't think that they might work for us as the people of God. He said, here are the three things. Be present. Don't take yourself too seriously. And remember that one size fits one. I would submit to you that in the passage of Scripture that Christian just read for us, this Jesus was very much present. He didn't work very hard to put makeup on his wounds, right? Because what mattered more than his presentation was how Thomas would be received and Thomas's experience because in the mind of Jesus, one size fits one. You like that? Oh. In fact, read like this, I started to look back over other stories that we have uh, of Jesus in the Gospels. I think one of the things you could say about Jesus was, what, was that he was very hospitable. If by that I mean made room for the other, was present, did not in those moments necessarily take himself too seriously, but took the other very seriously because one size fits one. The, the wedding at Cana of Galilee, he helped he helped uh, in the area of hospitality. Nicodemus, he was hospitable to Nicodemus. In the next chapter, he will be hospitable to Simon Peter, who betrayed him three times. He even, if you remember, hosts him at breakfast. He did that for the disciples all the time, and I'm telling you, this is what he's doing for Thomas here. Jesus, the host. Jesus, the agent of hospitality. Who, by the way, at some point in time, hosted you? If sitting where you are today, if you know that there was a time when you felt it, I think Wesley called it being strangely warm, that you were absolutely wrapped up and enveloped in grace, here's another way to understand that moment. Jesus hosted you. One size fits one. So let me say this now. You are meant to hear this sermon at a couple of different levels. One, I want you to celebrate that this God in Christ has, in fact, hosted you. One size fits one. You, your name. Remember, God's mind about you, fill in your name, is made up, and the news is good. And I want you to hear it as the Gospel of John means for us, taken together, to hear it today, these are also our marching orders. This is our calling. We are now the people of God meant to do what we see Jesus doing. And here's what we see Jesus doing. We see Jesus practicing unreasonable, relentless hospitality. Are you, am I, are we? Let's go over this first story. By the way, there are two stories here. One about the disciples without Thomas and one about Jesus and the disciples with Thomas, I think they're actually two sides of the same story. When it was evening on that first day, that day, resurrection day, Mary Magdalene has already played her role today. She has already announced to them, you guys, you guys, you guys, I have seen the resurrection Jesus, and here's everything that he told me to say to you, and apparently it didn't go quite as far as Jesus might have hoped that it would, because here they are locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. But then Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Oh, then you guys, he showed them his hands and his side. 
showed them his hands and his side, which, for which I am very grateful, right? Showing them his hands and his side in and of itself was an act of hospitality. And here's, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Jesus wanted them to know that the horror that they had just seen was absolutely real and not final. Peace be with you, he says. Peace be with you, though you have seen all that you have seen. Let me make some room for you here on this journey that does include some doubt, that does include some, perhaps some cynicism, that does include some anxiety and even fear. I know it's going to include all of those things, but let me make some room for you here. I'm going to show you my hands and my side, and you're going to see I'm upright. Welcome. Jesus said to them again, this is huge, peace be with you. Listen to this. What if this part's true? You ready? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Does anybody else feel the weight of that? (laughs) As the Father has sent me to be Jesus in the world, so I now send you to be Jesus in the world. If you don't feel the weight of that, then I probably need to read it over and over until you do. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's let's go through this again. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me kind of run through this before. The words translated as spirit here, pneuma, might have been translated wind or breath or spirit. So here's what you're having here. What Jesus is essentially doing right now is giving them the gift of the air that fills his lungs, that gives him life, that makes it possible for him to undertake what it is that God wants him to undertake. And he gives that as a gift, yes, to the people in the room, but by extension, to us. This is sort of a Pentecost moment. And we are here reading one of our birth narratives. This is what it means to be us. We actually dare to believe that we are the tangible expression of Christ in the world, filled with the spirit, the air, the wind that allowed Jesus to be Jesus. And it gets better or worse. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Even the Apostle Paul would say, what? Who who has this kind of capacity? Who has this kind of authority? Dr. Green helped me with this a long time ago. Do pastors have authority? Absolutely, pastors have authority, and it's all borrowed. None of it originates with me. None of it. People of God, you who are meant to be a kingdom of priests, do you carry authority out there in the world? Well, absolutely, but it's all borrowed. It's all gifted. It's all borrowed. But even as it has to do with sins, yeah, but let's talk about it. This particular word was the word hamartia in the original Greek, which means, and again, I'm grateful to meet with 
Dr. Tashin each and every week because he taught me and failed me in several classes in Greek, so I'm very grateful for his. This word, hamartia, literally means missing the mark. This is not necessarily um, a moral, criminal, villainous sort of type. This is somebody who is missing the mark, but guys, at least he or she is aiming. Make some sense? This, this sinner, as it were, is not the arch enemy of Jesus. This is somebody who's not there yet, maybe was there, and is no longer there. In other words, what Jesus is gifting to the people of God here is the capacity, <laughs> is the capacity to grow and shape the people of God. So there's a sense in which Jesus is asking them and us a question. Hey guys, since you now are going to have this borrowed authority, how are you going to shape this movement? Who's in and who's out? Because with this borrowed authority, you're going to be able to have some say in who's in and who's out. Hey, listen to this. Because of this borrowed authority, even here in 2023, right here at 4400 Northwest Expressway, you, and me too, so we, have some authority to determine who's in and who's out. So let me ask you a very hard question. Who's in and who's out? Have you voted yet? I don't mean at the ballot box. And in that sense, we're kind of voting all the time, in the sense that I mean we're kind of voting all the time. Who's in and who's out because God seems to be saying here, God in Christ seems to be saying here, you have now been gifted this authority and the spirit to make it work. How broad do we want to cast this net? How broad do you want to cast this net? Something else in the original language that caught my attention. These are not imperative verbs. In other words, it wasn't uh, Jesus saying to them, you forgive, you retain, because I said so. No, it's, it's subjunctive. So it's more observational than that. He seems to be saying to these people, he's now gifted with this borrowed authority in the spirit. He seems to be saying, yeah, because you're going to do what you're going to do. If you gather people, they will be gathered. And if you exclude people, they will be excluded. How wide do you want to cast this net? I mean, we've got to talk about it, right? I mean, who do you want here? Yeah, but who do we not want here? <laughs> like, who, who's out? I sat in a meeting with somebody, uh, a very impressive young professional person this week, and she said to me, she has said to me before, she, she's not a churchgoer, hasn't ever been a churchgoer, she just had her second child, and she said, can we talk about baby dedications? Why do Christians do baby dedications? And I was able to explain it. Like, it's, it's, it's really just so I can carry babies around. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about all that it means, that we become the village, right? We become the village that helps. She says, oh, okay, I'll, I'll talk to my husband, not quite ready for it. This last week when I met with her, she said, 
I don't know if I can come yet or not because I don't, I'm not sure I'm, I'm there quite yet. Now, I happen to have been meeting there with this person, with a number, another person from our church. <laughs> and that person said, oh, it's okay, see, first, you don't have to have it all figured out. Oh, that did a pastor's heart good. She might be watching. Because it is now the tradition of folks who eventually come to our church, they kind of start out online first. They may be watching. By the way, uh, my dad's preaching in Edmond first today, and my mom is at home watching, so hi, Mom. Thank you for indulging me there. And maybe she'll show up with her two kids. Maybe she'll show up with her husband and two kids. And maybe we'll all get a chance to be that village for her and those kids. But the question I want to ask before she comes is this. Is it okay if she doesn't have it all together just yet? Is that okay? That's a vote. And I think there's some precedent for it because I, I think probably if, if we're going to continue to be honest as we read the original language here, we need to say some things about a guy that we have lambasted for millennia, a guy by the name of Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve. He was not with them when Jesus came. And, and the verb tense here would indicate that it's not just that he was out picking up takeout food and just happened to miss Jesus. It's an imperfect verb. And by that, I mean this. There was an ongoingness to his not being there. There is every indication, given the original language, that after the crucifixion, Thomas said, I'm out. This doesn't work. I don't believe. Thomas, the same one who at one point said to his disciples, to the disciples, when Jesus said, well, we got to go back to Jerusalem. Thomas, the one who took a deep breath and said, well, we might as well go and die with him. Thomas, the one who would say to Jesus, you can almost hear the frustration in his voice, Jesus, you keep talking about the Father. Will you please show us this Father? In other words, Thomas seems to have had some trouble putting it all together and keeping it together. And then, post-crucifixion, it looks for all intents and purposes like he opted out and no longer believed. I have lunch tomorrow with one of our own who no longer believes. Let me ask you a question. I need to know this before I meet with this young man tomorrow. As I meet with him, this one who no longer believes, because it, it, it's kind of up to us, and I don't think we're going to vote, but I need to know, he no longer believes, but does he still belong? Now, isn't that interesting? It sounds to me like the disciples heard in this commissioning of Jesus, and they were commissioned with the very breath, the wind, the spirit of God that gives life. They received this calling, this commissioning, and understood that they now had resources, resources that they could use on their friend Thomas. <laughs> he wasn't there. He was no longer with them. But then, a week later, he shows up. And here's why. I think the disciples spent that week 
working on Thomas. I think they spent that week reestablishing the belonging part in the hopes that the believing part would follow. Let me ask you a question a different way. As it has to do with our, our fellowship here, do people have to believe before they belong or can they belong until they believe? Does that make some sense? Like, are we going to bar the doors to the people who don't yet believe like us? Maybe the folks who won't ever believe like us? Like us? Or is it possible that we could be that strange sort of church that allows folks to experience the kinship, the relational connection, the covenantal connection, and the belonging in the hopes that he or she or they might someday believe? And all those people said, I'm feeling better and better about tomorrow. Verse 24, Thomas was not with them. Verse 25, then the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, nope, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so here they are a week later and the disciples are again in the house and they have prevailed upon Thomas. He is now there with them. He belongs, though it seems like he still doesn't believe. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This guy I like to quote sometimes, Mark Davis, has said this. Now, hear this. It is even conceivable that when Thomas is with him again, he is there with all of his doubts intact. And that would suggest that the disciples' manner of reconciliation was not simply believe like us and you can be part of us. It would be more in the form of this is what we believe and you are welcomed here however you believe. To that extent, the disciples' task is not to convince others to believe and certainly not to coerce some signal of faith. <laughs> I could get in a whole lot of trouble right here. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm praying about it. Not to coerce some signal of faith, but to joyfully embrace their faith while making community with others. The point is not to convince Thomas, but to maintain the integrity of their experience and belief while inviting him to be part of them. Oh. It goes on to say, when the church is outside of the holy huddle and exists as a minority in many places, is our faithful call to make the others believe as we believe, or to walk with them in their journeys of pain as an expression of what we believe? When reconciliation is the church's disposition, it creates opportunities for others, even those whose ability to believe has been shattered, and that's the case for the young man I'm meeting tomorrow, opportunities for those people to meet Christ anew. Well, John, how hospitable should we be? Well, let's see what Jesus does here. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Jesus offers himself, is again in this moment playing host to Thomas and the rest of the disciples, but certainly to Thomas. Makes room for Thomas, complete with his doubts, with his fears. Thomas' response in verse 28 is, 
my Lord and my God. Caesar is no longer in charge. You, Jesus, are my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those in Oklahoma City who have not seen and yet have come to believe. As sort of a postscript, we believe that originally this was the end of the entire book. We think that chapter 21 is a later edition, a fantastic later edition, but we think it kind of ended here. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, which is consistent with the rest of the Gospel of John. We've said this, but let's go over it again. For John, salvation is believing that Jesus is who Jesus said he was and is. Sin, or even missing the mark, is not being quite there yet. And it's okay to not quite be there yet. Mark Davis tells the story of having a long conversation with his kids. He's a pastor as well as a scholar. And he said to his kids, hey, doubt all you want but I hope that you will doubt while still in the arms of the people of God. Who have learned from Jesus to be hospitable to the folks who don't have it all figured out just yet because this is what it means to be Jesus and this is what it means to be the body of Christ. Because, everybody, believing is not just a matter of mental assent, right? I mean, as we use the language of belief and believing, you believe not just with your brain, you believe with your bodies. And some of you who are struggling to make mental assent are still here, so some of you are believing with your feet. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I love metaphors because I'm a preacher. I think I have to like metaphors. Here's one that I really like. I, I like to think of us sometimes as a campfire. And man, I hope people keep coming until they get warm. But I can't force anybody to get warm. You can't either. What you can do is make space to be hospitable. Last quote from Mark Davis. There will be times when our head simply cannot wrap itself around the idea that God is making all things new because the news, <laughs> because the internet, because Facebook, God help me. There will be times when our hearts are not courageous, but discouraged. Anybody ever been there? Even so, we can believe with our feet by walking with our communities letting those who have the capacity to sing the faith while we are silent. Letting those who can praise, praise while we can only lament. Jesus plays host. The people of God are given the capacity, the resources necessary that we might also play host. We lost a fantastic host this past week, a couple of weeks ago. That guy knew how to make people feel special. 
That guy knew how to make room. You know who else does? That guy. <laughs> Tim Fain. By the way, I think it's a Fain thing. <laughs> I think it's a Christian thing. Making space, making room. Making space, making room. It's one of the ways that we describe, that we describe God, the God we see in Jesus. It's also one of the ways that we should describe God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, this is an ancient Russian icon painted by a guy by the name of Rublev, and we have done this before. This is an important painting to uh, the historic church. There is here, in this representation of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, there is a representation of hospitality, mutuality, relationship, community. All those things are there. There's also some real evidence that there is, between the knees of the two on this side of the table, you can see that tiny little rectangular space there. Though this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, we do think that we can tell that there used to be a mirror stuck there. A mirror. And here's why. Because when you walk up to take a look at this icon, you're supposed to see that you too are welcome at that table. Now again, as we close, you are meant to hear this sermon at two different levels. And I want you, I want you to celebrate every chance you get that you are invited and welcome to this table, which is this table. And I want you to eat so much communion bread, <laughs> so much bread that you think at some point you might be turning into the bread that is taken, blessed, broken and given in the hopes that you would have the resources to welcome somebody else. Who else, John? Yes. Yes. In some traditions, they have a word for all of this stuff, the bread and the cup. You'll never guess what that word is. You ready? It's host. Host. Is it possible that each week we are invited to take our place at the table so that we can celebrate for sure and so that we might grow in our capacity to welcome somebody else to the table? If you were helping us, please come and prepare the table for us. Heavenly Father, in these next few moments, may we do both of these things. May we celebrate that we have been invited and welcomed. That you have, on a regular basis, invited us and welcomed us to take part in this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. 
May we feel it so that it becomes gratitude. And God, at the very same time, may we take seriously what we have heard from God the Son in John chapter 20 today. Bless these elements, God, because we will need them, the bread and the cup. We will need the strength that they will afford us to be the kinds of people who can practice this unrelenting hospitality, this unreasonable hospitality, because that next person, God, is not always easy to welcome. That next person doesn't have it all figured out just yet. That next person doesn't look like me. That next person doesn't like me. So God, with the bread and the cup, as we are welcomed, give us the sense that we are being grown in our capacity to welcome, to be hospitable as you are hospitable. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward to receive with opened hands, please, the grace, this gift of grace that is the very body of Christ, broken for you. In fact, as you get close to the person holding the bread, that person will say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. And with that piece of bread now placed in your hands, dip it into the cup. That person holding the cup will say, and this is the blood of Christ, shed for you, for you. And then take and eat. And then you have some decisions to make. You may want to come right by here and dip your fingers into this water represented, representative of your baptism, the moment that you were included into this people, this people with the calling and with the mission. You may not want to do that, but you may want to go find a place to pray. If it's at one of these side padded altars, then we have people ready to come and pray with you, a prayer for healing physical, mental, emotional, doesn't really matter the kind of ache or pain you bring with you. If you are here and need that prayer for healing, we would like to pray it with you. If you come to one of these kneeling benches up front, these mourners benches, we won't assume anything, but we will let you know that you aren't praying alone because you are not. You are not the only person wrestling with issues, and you might as well know that you're not alone. Now, you don't have to come. Listen, all are invited. All who understand their need for grace are absolutely invited, but none are compelled. If you'd like to sit this one out, it's perfectly fine. If you would rather have something that is prepackaged, believe that we still have that at the back, and that will be there for you at the back, and it works just the same if you need something prepackaged. All are invited, though. Who, like your pastor, recognize the need for grace. And by that I mean the need to remember that I am welcomed so that I can develop the grace to welcome. So on the night that he's betrayed that our Savior took bread and blessed it and broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way he took the cup held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God. Come on ahead. <laughs>